helping disciple-makers ignite a movement locally and globally. This is the Disciple First Podcast. Now, here's your host, Craig Etheridge. Welcome back to the Disciple First Podcast. My name is Craig Etheridge, and this is a podcast by disciple-makers and for disciple-makers. And I'm really excited to bring to you a message at our last Flashpoint Conference in Atlanta, where Bill Hull spoke about conversion and discipleship. Of course, Bill Hull is a recognized writer and discipleship expert. He's the founder of TNET International and ministry devoted to transforming churches into disciple-making churches. He has spent more than 25 years as a pastor, authored multiple books, including Jesus Christ Disciple Maker, Disciple Making Pastor, Disciple Making Church, and Choose the Life. He and his wife, Jane, live in Long Beach, California, and he is a longtime friend of the Flashpoint Conference. In Atlanta, Bill took the stage and delivered a message that is still sending shockwaves through these pastors that attended there on conversion to discipleship. It is a message based on his latest book by that same title, Conversion and Discipleship. So I want you to get the first half of this sermon. So listen up carefully to Bill Hull. One of the things I love most about this conference, I believe this is the third time I've been here, not here in Atlanta, but in the Flashpoint Conference, it used to be called Ignite is that it's one of the few places that you are with people who really do get it. What we call the discipleship first crowd. And that's why I'm so happy to be here with Ken Adams and his church. Met Ken several years ago and heard so much about what God is doing here. And so, Ken, it's great to join you here on... uh, in your space, and to see what God is doing, and of course with Craig, and it's uh, fun to be with my friend Robbie, and so it's, I feel right at home, it's a great time. Today I want to talk about something that I suppose, if you know anything about Diedrich Bonhoeffer, you'll recognize the phrase, a world come of age. Diedrich Bonhoeffer spent the last two years of his earthly life in prison. And in 1944, the year before he was executed, he wrote, this th- he wrote about uh, that we live in a world come of age. Now, what he meant was a world that was ready to leave much of its childhood behind. Like those of us who have raised children, at some point we have a child who gets a driver's license. That's always a scary moment. That's when you might start wearing a helmet when you drive or in the automobile with the person who is learning to drive. It's also when they get a credit card. Uh, when they, their brain is almost fully developed, you know, uh, a rental car company will not rent a car to a person who's under 25 years of age because science tells us that a brain is not fully formed until it's 25. So that's the reason, actually, 
that they don't rent cars to people under that age. They want a fully formed brain behind the car, behind the wheel. So a person comes of age, and when they come of age, they are determined to do it their way. Now, I think this is essentially what Bonhoeffer was talking about, was that the world had come of age, meaning uh, philosophy and science, the age of reason, and it meant that, like young adults, much of the world was ready to leave behind the myths and the traditions and the customs that they felt were unable to cope with their modern problems. Now, some people have interpreted what Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote from prison in his remarks that he was advocating a religionless Christianity. Now, he used that term, a religionless Christianity, that he meant to leave behind many of the miracles and the fantastic stories in the Bible. But that's not what Bonhoeffer meant. When he talked about, in a world come of age, we need to strip away much of the accoutrement that comes with religion and the church, and a religionless Christianity would be one where Christ was really at the center and where it actually became relevant. And so he wasn't really trying to say, let's get rid of the stories that are hard to understand in the Bible. That's not his point. What he really meant was to leave behind the parts of the church and the church traditions and customs that had caused the church to fail the German people. Because indeed the church had failed the German people. Because it did not stand up against the Nazis, against the Third Reich. They did not stand between the oppressor and the oppressed, or the Jewish people in particular. The church just did not step into that breach. The church backed off. The church compromised. The church was irrelevant. The church accommodated. And it died. Bonhoeffer was disappointed with his church. And much of that disappointment burst forth in his book, the book we're probably most acquainted with, The Cost of Discipleship. And in that book, he said that really the essence of what it means to be a Christian and the essence of the Christian faith is that we are a follower of Jesus, and when he calls us, he calls us to come and die. So if Bonhoeffer, for example, were our, the pastor here, maybe he'd have a sign out front. Now, I haven't looked at the sign and what it says, but Bonhoeffer might have something out front like, come and die with us at 8.30, 9.30, and 11. You know, something like that. Might not be the best branding or marketing that we're looking for. But it also could be said that we, right now, at the outset of the 21st century, are living in a world come of age, where light has been declared darkness, and darkness has been declared light. I find it fascinating to be lectured by Steve Van Sant 
who used to be, a, well, is an actor. He's best known for his role on The Sopranos that was on HBO for many years, and he was the guy with the big pompadour hairdo and who talked really funny, like a Jersey guy. And, uh, but he's also known by a whole other gaggle of people as the guitarist in the E Street Band with Bruce Springsteen. But the other day, he was referring to some new law that I don't fully grasp what it's all about. I haven't done much research on it, but it's one of those human sexuality laws that relate to a number of things in certain states. And he was lecturing everybody about the haters. And he was talking about immorality. And he was talking about us, my friends. He was talking largely about evangelical Christians who have a standard on the Bible about human sexuality. And he was telling us that we were immoral. In other words, he was very sanctimoniously taking the high ground. That's a world where light has been declared darkness and darkness has been declared light. And St. Francis of Assisi said that, in fact, tradition says that he went out on the town square and stood on his head so he could see the world aright. That's, I think, the way we may have to live. The German church did not recognize the danger and seduction to be found in compromise. And it seems neither have we. We have been seduced and discipled by a therapeutic and self-absorbed culture. It makes it very difficult for us to get in touch with the following words. I think that you know, some people, they say, you know, American Christians are privileged. In some ways, we are privileged. Yes, that's true. But also, I don't hear much talk about hard, how hard it is for American Christians with the best Bible teaching or maybe the most uh, studied, well-educated Bible teaching and preaching in the world is, can be found still in this country, how hard it is for us to really get at the Scriptures and understand them. Let me just give you an example. If any person would come after me, let him deny himself, put aside his selfish ways, take up his cross and follow me. Now, I submit to you, my friends, it's very hard for us to understand this verse. Because we have to peel back all the consumer culture in which we live, the self-absorption that we have with ourselves, the way we've been discipled by our culture. It's very difficult for us to really get at these words and what they actually mean. Because we live in a world, in contemporary evangelicalism, where I believe that we're taught that most of us go to church for ourselves. To take something in, to have our needs met, so that we will be closer to God. And I can tell you this, this is not the life that Christ calls us into. This is not it. It's a false paradigm. And... One of the great things you can say about the Bonhoeffer family was that Diedrich had a wonderful father named Carl. And he was the most famous, we'd call him now, psychiatrist in all of Germany. In fact, upon the European continent. 
He was the head of neurology at the University of Berlin. He was the single most important reason that Freudianism and psychoanalysis did not really take foothold very strongly in Germany. And the reason was is because Karl Bonhoeffer was against it. And here's what he said about psychoanalysis, Sigmund Freud, Carl Jung, and the whole idea of analyzing life based upon ourselves and how we felt about ourselves. He said he dismissed it as the bad fruit of people who like to busy themselves with themselves. We are very much, I think, disappointed with ourselves. And this is a very strange twist. It's almost twisted logic that we as evangelical Christians, we tend to be dissatisfied with ourselves. And the reason we seem to be preoccupied and dissatisfied with ourselves and our level of performance, so to speak, is because we think so much about ourselves. So since we think so much about ourselves, and how are we doing? We tend to then be more disappointed about the whole thing because, you see, we're trying to get closer to God. We're becoming more like Christ. And the more we walk with God, the more we study the Scriptures, the more we meditate upon the Word of God, the more we involve ourselves in all kinds of different ministries, what happens is the closer we're, the more we're striving to get closer to God and be more acceptable in some respects behaviorally to God, it seems like we realize we're not really going to get there. In fact, the Christian community has an entire disappointment industry, uh, disappointment books. And uh, one of the ways we've compromised is that we spend way too much time allowing even people who are not qualified to criticize us to criticize us. In fact, we give them the stick to beat us with. We give them, their own, we give them the stick and say, here, hit us with it. And uh, the, the secular culture. And that stick really are the teachings of Jesus. Here, here you go. Take that, the teachings of Jesus. Look at me. I'm not Jesus. Hit me on the head with it. Could it be? Could it be that we have totally missed the point of what Jesus was telling us? Now, I'm not talking about the worldlings. Did they miss the point? I don't mean the media, that they missed the point. I don't mean the liberal church. I don't mean even the evangelical churches. I mean the discipleship first people, us. The discipleship industry. Could it be that we've missed what Jesus is trying to tell us? I was reading an internet article a couple of weeks ago and it was a critique of the modern church discipleship movement. And the, the writer said, and this might uh, strike you as kind of odd at first, but he said that Jesus didn't call us to be disciples. He commanded us to make disciples. 
Because, in our language, oftentimes, in fact, I have a book called The Complete Book of Discipleship. I'd like to apologize for that. But in the publishers wanted it. <clears throat> and it says, to be and become disciples. That's the subtitle. But this particular young man was saying, no, there's, there's really no emphasis on being disciples. It's, that's not what the Great Commission's about. It's about making disciples. On its face, you see, it, it's so obvious that who's he talking to? Disciples. They're already disciples. And as Robbie so well put it last night, they weren't the elite fleet. I mean, this wasn't uh, uh, the people who get into Harvard. That these were the just ordinary people. And so he's saying, and the disciples had to believe this. I mean, if someone, if you, the man that you've been living with for three years, and, and he tells you, make disciples, in other words, do with other people what I've just done with you, then obviously they know what to do. You, they've just been through it. But you know that he's talking to you. I remember asking Robert Coleman, who's now 88 years old, who wrote the Master Plan for Evangelism, and who is essentially a living legend in the disciple-making movement, I asked him a couple of years ago, I said, if you had one message to give to the American church, what would it be? He says, well, I have a question for them. What's your excuse for not obeying Christ's great commission to make disciples? So the emphasis is make disciples. Because you already are disciples. And so here's a suggestion. Quit asking, how am I doing? And start doing. Could it be that all this preoccupation with how am I doing is part of what Jesus meant when he said, put aside your selfish ways. Have you ever thought about that? Possibly that that's what he meant? That the selfish way that he's talking about and saying we should put away to be his follower is asking that question, how am I doing? Am I getting closer to Jesus? Am I happy? Am I joyful? How's my life going? In other words, in this little space here, my aura or my sphere, uh, how, how's my life going? And we spend all this time thinking about how am I doing, how's it going, and all these kinds of things. And then we say, until it's all going good here, until I have peace here, until I have joy, until I have all the knowledge and all these, then I can go make disciples. But until then, you know, i got to get my act together. No, it doesn't say that in the Bible, that you have to get your act together. Because if you wait to get your act together, you're not going anywhere, you're not doing anything. Have we misunderstood Now let me review the problem. The problem is pretty simple. We have a message that's still predominant, it's the default gospel. The default gospel in America. And the reason this is important, not only 
for what it creates here, but what it creates and what we export around the world. Because 90% of the dollars that go to missions around the world come from the United States. And still to this day, even though we hear about how we're an afterthought in America, how the, the real actions in the Southern Hemisphere and how all that, we, we read the missiologists and all the information, even though we read all these kinds of things, essentially they're still mimicking us, they're still following us, and whatever we export because of the money and because of the influence and because of the power of our culture, people are still doing what we show them how to do, what we tell them to do, what we have in our materials, and all those kinds of things. So we're exporting American Christianity. We're still doing it. And we're, along with that, we're exporting our gospel. And our gospel says you can become a Christian and go to heaven and never become a disciple. You can become a Christian and go to heaven and never become a disciple. How did that happen? Well, here's a short history. In the 20th century, Campus Crusade for Christ, Bill Bright, you may have heard of the four spiritual laws, or the five steps to peace with God, that was Billy Graham's booklet, or the navigators had the bridge, or hopping through hip Hebrews, or roaming through Romans, you know, whatever it is. And uh, these were extracts that were taken out of the gospel. Now, the gospel are the gospels, the good news. But then for Billy Graham and Bill Bright extracted a simple thing, and we called it the plan of salvation. Now, I, this is not a knock on Billy Graham and Bill Bright. I have huge respect for both of these people. And... That's not my point. My point is, by default, because nobody questioned it, challenged it, dissected it, studied it, somehow the gospel was up here, and we took an extract out and called it the plan of salvation, and then what happened at some point, by default, in the 20th century, is that flipped to where the gospel, the plan of salvation, became the gospel. And so it became, it became this. It became, you're a sinner, God loves you, you're a sinner, you need to accept Christ, confess your sins, and turn to Him, believe on Him, and you're a Christian, say this prayer. Come forward and kneel, and we'll get you baptized and get you in. And essentially, that was our formula. And it got to the point where nobody would even question that anymore. They wouldn't question, when people say, what's the gospel? Well, everybody knows the gospel. In fact, you can get it in a little book. And so could it be that our disappointment, the basis of our disappointment, is that we're like an automobile owner who has misread the owner's manual and is attempting to run his car with the wrong fuel. And that wrong fuel is a gospel that does not expect people to be disciples. That discipleship is optional. That it's the preferred plan, of course. You know, an insurance agent comes to you and he show, opens up his book and he shows you the preferred plan first. 
And then there's the next plan and the next plan, and it costs different prices. And so nobody in their right mind who's a pastor or a Christian leader would say, here's the, here's the gospel. Uh, believe on Christ, get your sins forgiven, go to heaven, and nothing can change that. You're settled, you're good, you got, you're in. Nobody can ever take that away from you. And the preferred plan is that you would uh, grow spiritually. The preferred plan is that you would actually... Uh, live a life of victory and joy and purpose, and the preferred plan is that you would uh, go actually involve yourself in mission and do kinds of things like that. And you know, there are lots of people who do the preferred plan. But they also know they don't have to. It's not required. It really doesn't have anything to do with salvation. And I'm saying that that is destructive. What I'm saying is that's why we're in this mess. I'm saying that is why, you know, it's very difficult if you're a pastor. You spend a lot of your life doing the following. Since you have a gospel that does not include evangelism, I mean, include discipleship, then essentially you get people in the door, you get them baptized, you get them in, and then you spend the rest of your career trying to interest people in picking up the option on their contract. Because, you see, there's a big red line. You believed, you're baptized, you're in, big red line, cannot cross it. Now everything else is optional. Everything else is preferred. Everything else, you know, but essentially... You know, if you raised your hand when you're 10 at some meeting and there's no fruit, you know, you're still in. Now, please forgive me because I'm making some generalizations here. And I can't tell you everything I don't mean by what I just said. But the governing assumption is discipleship to Christ is optional. It's preferred but not necessary. But we have accepted and have nurtured the separation of conversion from discipleship. Faith is agreement and grace is a passive experience. Now here's, a, here's what I would recommend. We can solve this problem. And I'm happy to say that it's in the process of being solved. I see progress. Everyone called to salvation is called to discipleship. No exceptions, no excuses. Let me say it one more time. What about if we believe this? I think this is actually what the Bible teaches. Everyone called to salvation is called to discipleship. No exceptions, no excuses. When God saved you, he also called you. When he saved you, he also called you. Some people believe you can have conversion without discipleship. I believe that the proof of conversion is discipleship. Wow, you just heard from Bill Hull in, in his riveting message on conversion and discipleship. What kind of gospel are we preaching and what is it producing? 
Is it producing true disciples? If you'd like to know more about how to produce disciples that make disciples, go to disciplefirst.com. That's disciplefirst.com. It's the one-stop shop for disciple-making. Also, look online for the next Flashpoint Conference coming soon to a city near you. And until then, go and make disciples.